before we get started, I want to notice uh, the Christmas ornaments, the tree and the wreath. Who put those in here? Peg? Well, maybe think of it. Uh, two weeks ago, I was in Denver, and a, some friends of ours go to a church, and it's a fairly older, traditional type of congregation. And they were talking about how the the preacher has been there for like 15 years. And he's the longest running preacher at that particular church. And so uh, he's a little bit more progressive, I would say. And so uh, a lot of the members of the congregation don't like the fact that there's a Christmas tree or any type of ornaments in the church building. They really struggle with it. So the Preacher had him over for lunch, and he said, I don't know if you noticed this, but I put a tiny little tree in the corner back behind the stage. I'm going to slowly get it in there so they can be okay with it. So I noticed this big tree right there, and I'm like, thank God. Okay. That's right. Well, I just want to thank God we're a part of a body of Christ that focuses on important things and not the little nuances that would cause us to grumble over a tree. So thanks for uh, doing that. And Morbys, thanks for helping out. So last week I started the sermon on... uh, Dissecting the truth in the Word, and I hit on, uh, there were seven, seven subjects that I had written down in, in the, my notes, and I figured if I made it through all seven, it was going to be a long, long day last Sunday for you guys. Maybe not for me, but for you it would have been a long day, because it would have taken another 45 minutes to an hour to probably get through what I wanted to say, um, so we 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 made it through two of the, the seven subjects that I wanted to discuss about what the Word says, uh, and it was kids and marriage, and raising children, and then in, in our marriage, and how we, um, how we treat one another. And all of this sermon, the, the sermon from two weeks ago, and then the sermon from this week, uh, or last week, and then the sermon this week, was all instigated on the question that Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? And so we're trying to dissect what is truth throughout the Scriptures. And I, I told the quick little story of the older gentleman that we used to go to church with that stood up in the congregation and said, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. That's what the Bible is. It just gives us instructions before we leave this earth. And everything we need to know uh, in order to live a more peaceful life is in this book, to live a more peaceful life with our spouse, uh, to, to live a more peaceful life uh, with our children at home, uh, a more peaceful life at, in our workplace, uh, out in the world, uh, more peace in our hearts, even to the point of more peace in our souls. And so that's the, the, my belief is that this book gives us every bit of information we need to live the type of life that God has called us to live. And it is for our benefit. And that's what I think people struggle with is like, oh, the Bible is a list of do's and don'ts. 
Rather, it's an instruction manual to say, do you really want to get past the stress, the anxieties, the worries, uh, the pain, the struggles, um, the inconsistencies, the, the lack of peace, the lack of joy? Then there's answers in this book. And if someone says, well, I don't have peace, and I would say, well, maybe, maybe we need to find it. Maybe we need to dig deeper and focus on some different things, and then we might find that peace. And today I want to talk about uh, a couple different things, and, and I'm going to start out with this concept of stress and anxiety that uh, is pretty prevalent in our society. And a lot of the prevalence from stress and anxiety comes down to finances. And so we're going to talk about stress and anxiety as it relates to money, and then just stress and anxiety as it uh, affects us as humans. Now, in 2018, five years ago, a study was done by the American Psychological Association, and it took a group of the Gen Z, and I didn't know what Gen Z was. There's all these different generations, Z, X, Y, whatever they are. So Gen Z is anyone born from 1997 and on. Who here was born from 1997 or sooner? Just usually the front row back there. Okay, right there. Okay, good, good, okay. All right, now you are Gen Z, and they did a study of you folks, and the numbers came out that 57% of you people, born from 1997 on, so if you're, what is that, 20, 25 years old or so, uh, or younger, that you worry about your mortgage, you worry about rent, you worry about the cost of food, whether or not you're going to afford uh, a meal, you worry about gas, you just worry about expenses. And there was other stressors that these young people were dealing with, but this was the main one, 57% were worried about money. And when you, when you kind of roll in stress and anxiety in our finances, they seem to roll together because it affects every one of us. Every one of us probably has a mortgage or a rent, if you're outside of Gen Z. You have a mortgage or a rent. You have expenses on uh, food. You have expenses on clothing. You have expenses on gas, heating and cooling your home. You have expenses on your car. If you have more than one car, you have insurance on more than one car. You have the, the maintenance that goes with the home or goes with the car. There's all these expenses that come, an occasional speeding ticket, uh, the, the, you know, the wear and tear, <laughs> it happens. So we have these, these stresses, and I was sitting there thinking about these are modern-day stresses. Because if you go 300 years ago to the colonial times, they didn't have a Costco. They didn't have a city market. Their concern was simply, their concern was food. Their concern was living off of the food that they could grow, whether it's the crops or whether it's the, the animals that they consume. Or if you lived 3,000 years ago in an agrarian society, it was the same stress. They didn't have a Costco to go to, and so they had to think about where they're going to get their next meal, whether it was the, the cattle that they were going to, harvest or it was or the wheat or the crops that we're going to harvest. And so they were completely dependent and reliant upon God. Can you imagine for a second if we didn't have to go or didn't have the opportunity to go to city market after church today to go grab a hoagie roll and some fresh cut meat and cheese and all the fixings you want with it? I mean, that's such an easy convenience right now. But for, for thousands of years, people have been dealing with just the simple concept of eating, of, of having food that they had to grow and get with their own two hands, and they couldn't just go down to McDonald's or something and grab a burger and fries. So there's a, 
there's this idea and this concept that stress, this modern-day stress, is real. And it, when a high percentage of Gen Z people are actually worried about these things, it just tells me that it is something that we probably need to think about a little bit and we need to preach about once in a while. Um, in 1969, a uh, study was started in Japan, and that study is uh, based on a disease that they named Kiroshi disease. Has anybody ever heard of Kiroshi disease? Kiroshi disease is called the overwork disease. And they have attributed, just last year alone in Japan, they've attributed almost 3,000 deaths to Kiroshi disease for overwork that was due to related to stress. It could be hypertension, it could be suicide, but it was related to this Kiroshi disease that these people are so stressed out from working and they're stressed out about success and they're stressed out about finances that it leads them to their death to the point of almost 3,000 people last year. And I can speak from a personal level, is that you know there's not many weeks that go by that I don't worry a little bit about providing for my family. There's times when I'm, I mean, I think about that mortgage, or I think about that the, the payment when you know the kids need something, or they need, they need you know, violin lessons, or they, they need the Spanish class, or whatever it is, and I think about the outgo the constant that's got to be somehow made possible through income. And I'm here to tell you, I, I stress about that. I have anxiety about it. Now I'm going to tell you, I think that's a sin. I think for me to have that mentality, I, I'm literally sinning against God because I'm missing the mark of perfection because I'm worried about something like that. And I want to look at Scripture this morning because the Bible says to not worry about that. The Bible says. And so I want to look at it this morning and see, okay, one, uh, what does the Bible say? How do we get rid of it? And uh, there's some other things I want to talk about too. But the first one, this idea of stress about finances and, and money. Um, I feel like I can preach on it because I do run a small business and I do think about other people and I do think about my own wife and kids when it comes to that. But the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied. He who loves money will not be satisfied. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. If you love money, if you love wealth, you will never be satisfied satisfied. It will be the carrot in front of the horse that is constantly there that you can never get to. Okay? This is also vanity. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, it says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So what is the result of loving money? One, it's not being satisfied. When you think about it constantly, you're never going to be satisfied. And secondly, it has the opportunity to plunge people into ruin and destruction. The Bible seems to say these are things that we focus on oftentimes that are the wrong things. Jesus even says you ask because you ask with the wrong motives. So uh, I have a question here. So what should we realize in order to relieve ourselves from the burdens that come from anxiety and stress? Now, the biggest subject I want to talk about today is going to be, uh, believe it or not, it's going to be our doctrine and salvation. But this was, on my, this was on my list of things that I feel like we worry about. And when it says the truth will set you free, 
when Pilate says to Jesus, what is truth? And then in John chapter 8, it says, the truth will set you free. Is that we can have freedom from this anxiety. We can have freedom from this stress when we recognize and when we acknowledge what the Bible says about certain subjects. And this subject of money and stress is, is a higher percentage than not of people in our age group that worry about these things. And so in Philippians chapter 4, let's go to Philippians chapter 4. This is kind of the, the anecdote for worrying about these things. When someone says, man, I worry about it, my response is usually, well, then stop worrying. <laughs> That's good counsel, right? I really worry, why don't worry about it? I think it was Solomon just said, be happy, as if it's a choice. Like you can mentally change the way you think about things, which would manifest into our life. So if we're stressed, and stress causes sickness, and stress causes unhealthiness, and stress causes anxiety, if we stop stressing, then maybe we won't have those issues that we're dealing with. But in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, it says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And my God will supply every need of yours, every need of yours, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I've preached on this before about separating your wants from your needs. Your wants from needs. Uh, my son's looking to buy a truck. He wants a truck. Does he need a truck? No, there's public transportation. There's bicycles. But he wants a truck. And I understand that. He saved his money. He's worked hard. He's going to buy a truck. But it's not a need. So what are the needs that God said he's going to supply us? And if you go to Luke chapter 12, trying to put this a little bit into perspective, Luke chapter 12, verses 22, this is also uh, the... Parallel passages found in Matthew chapter 6, but in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 22, there's this, again, this anxiety. And there's a passage that I, I found that I'm going to read to you after this that may be a little challenging, but the Bible says it. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they neither have storehouses nor barns, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? You can't even add a single hour to your life. Why are you worried about the big things? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass, so clothes the grass, which is alive and in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So what is Jesus' response to us having anxiety over our finances? Or having anxiety over making sure our bills are paid? He doesn't say, 
stop working. He doesn't say just don't worry about it. I'm just going to give you a pot of gold next to the, you know, the, the stoop on the door when you wake up in the morning. But he does say there's a mental approach that we can have. I believe God has called us to work and provide. But there's a mental approach that we have. It says, do not be anxious. Do not worry. It's kind of the advice like, hey, I'm really struggling with worrying. Then stop worrying. That's Jesus' advice here. Just stop worrying about it. He promised that he would manage this for us. He promised that he would provide the things that we need. He promised that he would give us food. He promised he would give us clothing. He said, I'll take care of those things. So why do we worry about it? Why do I worry about it? I'm, I'm confessing here, guys. I'm, I'm telling you. Why do I worry about it? It's a sin. I shouldn't worry about it. It's a lack of faith knowing that God's promises will, in fact, come true. And there's a passage that I read in Proverbs chapter 12 that I just I had to put in here because I felt like it was a pretty important passage in relation to what we're talking about. In Proverbs chapter 12, and Jesus says, do not be anxious, do not worry. Listen to what Solomon says about this. In Proverbs 12, 25, it says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Does anybody have the King James Version of the Bible in their hand? Brian, what does that word say? What does, Proverbs, what does the King James Version say in Proverbs 12.25, if you don't mind reading it? Heaviness in the heart of a man maketh a stoop. You know what stoop is in the Hebrew? It's depressed. It means depression. That's what the word means in the Hebrew. That heaviness, anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression. That's the New King James Version of the Bible says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. I am not sitting here saying I have a cure for anything, but I'm telling you, this scripture, I believe, is from the divine. I believe the scripture is from God that says, you have anxiety, it causes all sorts of issues in our hearts. You have worry, you have concern. God is going to take care of what he promises he will take care of. He says it's scripture after, I mean, this is a very tiny section of this idea. We can go on for hours and hours about what the word says about God's promises, about him helping us and taking care of us and providing for us. The problem is we have our wants and our needs completely messed up. I'm, I'm confessing. We have a lifestyle. My wife and I have a lifestyle with the kids. We like to, at one point, we really like to mountain bike. We like to go on the river. We like to hunt. We like to do this. All of these things that we enjoy doing, which causes sometimes financial stress because we really like to do it. I'm focused on a lot of different things right now, and God says, I'll take care of your food, and I'll take care of your clothing. Everything else, it's extra. It's their blessings, don't get me wrong, but it's extra. So why are you stressing about those things? Well, because we're human. 
So these three basic biblical concepts, I, I very lightly touched on them because I wanted to get into this idea of, uh, of two other areas within Scripture while well, I still have some time to do that. But the three basic biblical concepts that we addressed were stress, anxiety, and money. But what about the spiritual aspect of our lives? When it says the truth will set you free, backing up real quick, stress, anxiety, and finances, the truth will set you free. When I acknowledge, that's what the word says. When I acknowledge that God says, I will take care of your basic needs. Everything else, don't, it's, it's extra, but the basic needs, I, I'm going to take care of it. When I recognize that, when Jesus says, I tell you, don't have anxiety, I go, okay, God, I trust you. You know what happens to my stress level? God's going to take care of it. Like, I've, I've never gone without a meal. I know a lot of people have. I, I haven't gone without a meal. I've always had shelter. Sometimes it was in a car for a couple weeks when, my, when I was about 19. But I still had a roof over my head. But God always took care of it. I removed the anxiety when I rely and I trust that his word is true. And then when we get into the bigger, which I think they're all kind of tied together, the spiritual aspect of our lives, when we talk about this word doctrine, didache, which means teaching or instruction, when he says the truth will set you free. Many of you guys have heard the story of uh, Brenda and I. When we, when we were engaged, we had different upbringings uh, when it came to our religion. And we discussed it quite a bit uh, when we were discussing our kids and the wedding and all, and, you know, our future children, Lord willing, and our wedding and all that, all that stuff. And we came to this conclusion, because it was a little bit, I don't want to say stressful, but it, it caused a little bit of like, well, what, I don't know, what, what do you think? What does your family think? And we just said, look, let's start over. Let's, let's erase the board. Let's start over with our new bleed system and base it fully and wholly on the word of God. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to take the word we're just going to say everything else that we've always learned, I'm sure it's great, good roots and, and a great foundation. However, we, let's look at what the Word of God says, and let's make that our doctrine. Let's make that our teaching. Let's make that our instruction. And I will tell you, God's honest truth, that was the most freeing decision that my wife and I ever made. It was the most It was the most earth-shattering release from a belief system that we felt maybe was wrong or maybe it wasn't wrong. We weren't sure, but we knew if we said, look, we're just going to go off of this word and this is all we're going to go off. It takes away all the struggle. It takes away all the anxiety. It takes away the lack of direction and it just goes, this is what the word says. This is, this is what we're going to believe. And it, it's like this concept of... Um, it's like this concept of if you go anywhere with me in a car in Grand Junction and I'm in the passenger seat and you've lived here for 20 years, I'm still, if I don't verbalize it, I will still say in my head, you should turn right here. I've dri Brian Bray's lived here longer than me. He's lived here his whole life other than a few years in college, I think. He knows the roads backwards and forwards. Sometimes we'll be at the office and we're going to go to his house and get some hunting stuff or whatever. And if we're driving from... Redlands to his house, and in my head, I'm like, you should turn left here. You know how annoying that would be if a guy that hasn't lived here as long as someone that, and he's a broker, and so he knows all every road in town, 
and I'm telling him where to go. Sometimes you don't want instruction. That's just, you don't need instruction. But we're not talking about driving from one end of town to the other when it comes to our doctrine. We're talking about eternal life. So if we were in the Amazon jungle, and we were getting instruction from someone saying, hey, you want to, on this tributary here, you want to take a left at the river, not a right here. Because if you go left, you're going to be safe. If you go right, you're going to end up in a potential tribe of cannibals. And you don't want to end up down that road. Thank you for telling us to go down left instead of right here. Or if you're in the, the uh, Chicago, and it's in like some of the worst parts of Chicago, you want somebody to say, don't go down that road, it's a dead end, and they just do pop shots at cars that they don't recognize because it's a high gang activity. There's places like that in big cities. Or if you were 13 hours in Benghazi, you've seen the movie, maybe. If not, I recommend it. 13 hours in Benghazi, they're in the consulate, and the guy, they get attacked by the bad guys, and they say, okay, when you go out of the consulate, turn left, do not turn right. Turn left, go left. He says like three times, go left, don't go right. So they get out there, and what does the, do, the guy do? He goes right. He goes right because he's all discombobulated, and he goes right and he gets shot up, pop, 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 and they get fire thrown at him, and they almost get killed, and they end up back in the safety haven, the safe haven. But they were in a very dangerous place. There are situations in life when you want direction. Not when you're riding with me through Grand Junction, but when you're in the Amazon, or you're in Chicago, or you're in Benghazi in Libya, you want direction to where you're going. And that is this book, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. That is the, the 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, keep watch, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, and that word teaching is instruction, doctrine, learning, teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Keep a close watch on yourself and your doctrine. That is what Paul told Timothy. Why? Why is it such a big deal? Why is, why is what this says such a big deal? Why is that going to set us free? When it says what is truth, and truth in John chapter 8, verse 32 says the truth will set you free, how will that set us free? And it's this mindset, this understanding that, guys, we are in a gnarly battle for our souls. We are in a massive fight for our souls. And in the book of Revelation, I was talking to my eschatology brother this morning, Dennis, and I said, hey, I just want to, think I, I want to make sure I think I understand this right. In Revelation chapter 13, uh, it's talking about the first beast, and it's, uh, first beast, and it talks about the 42 months, which is three and a half years, and so you have the, we're not going to go into end time stuff, but in the end, the three and a half years of the tribulation, three and a half years into the tribulation, there's this passage when it says in verse 5, Revelation 13, verse 5, and this is the question, how will it set us free? How will doctrine set us free? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that those who dwell in heaven, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it, talking about the beast, and it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. The beast was allowed to make war on the saints. If you go over to 1 Peter chapter 5, go back a couple 
couple books in 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter writes here, humble yourselves, in chapter 5, verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. First off, he's telling them to cast all your cares and distractions, all your cares and your anxieties on God because he cares for you. How is this freeing? Well, I'm worried about, name it. I'm worried about it. Well, I'm going to cast it on God. I'm going to put it on God. I'm going to say, God, I know you're going to take care of this. I'm going to faithfully walk down the path with you in the light, and I know you're going to handle this in what's best for your will in my life. I may not understand it, but I trust it. And then he says, be sober-minded, be watchful, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, I know it's like not the all warm and fuzzy Bible stuff here, but when we look at Revelation and three and a half uh, years into it, and it says that he came to wage war against the saints, then we look at this more modern day or the current times when it says your adversary, the devil, prowls around around like a roaring lion seeking someone to, to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Resist him firm in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. Why is teaching so essential? Why is teaching so important? Because teaching keeps us centered on what God's plan is for our life. His teaching, his doctrine, his belief system, we've got to recognize is being countered by all the false teachings, all the false doctrines, all the false gospels that are out there. So going back to that story with Brenda and I about his ways are now our ways. That's where the freedom comes from. The freedom comes from, look, look my, my ability to create a doctrine is not great. It's certainly not going to give me the joy and the happiness that I need. It's not going to give me the peace that I need. But the teaching that we see in Scripture, that, I believe that is what God is calling us to, to just study this word and understand this word. And he says, the truth will set you free. Now the last, let me see. Okay, I'm almost finished here. I don't know if I want to preach this today or next week. I don't where are the heads at right now? Can we absorb anything else or don't do this? I'm not watching you right now. Gavin, I just, man. Huh? We're good. You should have spoke up if you didn't agree with they were the first ones. So I have written. We have freedom from anxiety, freedom from stress, freedom from worry. God says just don't worry. Don't have anxiety. Freedom in doctrine, because we are in a battle. We're not driving down North Avenue looking to turn left on 7th or left on 4th. We're actually looking for truth because we are in a battle in the Amazon. You can turn left on 4th. You just can't turn left on 5th. That's the one that goes down like that. And then there's the 
freedom from sin and death. The freedom from sin and death. Uh, Brenda and I and Sam Morby are helping do a Bible study for the high schoolers in Palisade every Tuesday. And it's been enjoyable getting to know them, the kids, and getting a little bit deeper in the Bible study with them. And they're, they're, some of them are fairly knowledgeable. Um, some don't know the difference between Ephesians and, you know, Ephesians. And that's okay. That's what we're doing our best to teach them. And we started this uh, passage in Hebrews chapter 6, and it was the elementary teachings about Christ. And the elementary teachings about Christ are, uh, there's, there's six of them. And the first week we went through uh, faith in God, what it meant to have faith in God. And the second week we went to uh, instruction about uh, repentance from dead works or acts that lead to death. And then the third week we started about the, the definition and the meaning of instruction about baptisms. And so last week we started about John the Baptist, and we went through one, one Tuesday evening about John the Baptist and what he was here for and why he came. And, and then next week we're going to be talking even more about John the Baptist, and we're going to be talking about uh, two passages in particular, and that's Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 8. And it talks about, in Romans chapter 6, it talks about freedom from death, freedom from sin. And in Romans chapter 8, it talks about there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the passage that we're going to talk about next week, because I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I'd cut it way too short if I started this, but in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, it said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we're going to talk about Romans 6, 1 through 14 next week, and, and tie it into Romans chapter 8, where it says, there is therefore... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set me free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Listen to that. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There's two places that we can end up. We can end up free in Christ Jesus or we can end up in the law of sin and death. When the scriptures talk about freedom, we can look at freedom from anxiety on the, like our day-to-day. -day. We can look at freedom from worried about money or worried about you know, our kids or whatever it is we worry about. Whatever anxiety gives us. Jesus says, don't be anxious. I'll take care of you. But I think the most important, the single most important thing in all of Scripture is the end of our lives. The very end. When we close them for the last time and we meet Jesus and He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Or He says, I never knew you. That's a heavy thought. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Or I never knew you. So when we talk about freedom in Scripture, 
the freedom from anxiety. I mean, we're, we're going to struggle sometimes with that. We're human. I'm not, I'm not advocating it, and I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying there's going to come times in our lives when we worry about our kids, our grandkids, our finances, whether or not we're going to make it to the meeting on time, all of the things that happen in our modern world. But ultimately, the number one thing we need to worry about, to think about, is how are we free in Christ Jesus? The rest of it will come along with that territory. But how are we free in Christ? And we're going to talk about it next week. Sorry, we're going to have to start James the following. We'll talk about that tomorrow. But I, I, I want to finish with this passage about freedom in Christ Jesus because that is what ultimately matters. All right, let's, let's pray and then uh, we'll have communion. Who has our communion meditation? Dad, okay. All right. Father, thank you for uh, thank you for everyone here today that uh, took time to worship you and, and uh, fellowship together and sing sing to you and glorify you and glorify your name. And Lord, I pray that uh, the foolishness of what I spoke uh, made sense and landed on the ears and the hearts of everyone here that they could dig deeper into your word and recognize that your truth is what sets us free. Your word is what sets us free. And we, Lord, we thank you so, so much for salvation. We thank you for the glory of your divine nature that we can see when we look outside, when we can see the moon, when we can see the stars, the sun. We can feel the wind. Lord, all that comes from you, and we thank you so much. We give you ultimate glory. You are an amazing creator, and we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name.